Good morning and welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here today, and uh, we're always glad to have visitors with us. We have a lot of our young people away at camp this weekend, and they should be returning this afternoon, and we look forward to their safe arrival. I do want to mention very quickly that the young men of our congregation are going to be leading the service this evening. If you have never had the opportunity to be present when they lead our services in days gone by, I want to encourage you to come tonight. We have two new speakers. Wes McGee and Ben Rickman will be speaking tonight. And so we look forward to hearing them. I know that they've been working with Jared over the past few days. I have every every bit of confidence that they will do a great, great job. And so we want to come and support them, support all of our young men as they lead in our services. In our study today, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I want to spend some time and talk for just a moment or two today about a spiritual makeover. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, it's evident that Paul made a complete and abrupt change in his life. And really when you begin to examine his life as a Jew in comparison to his life as a Christian, you come to the conclusion that he was made over. Things had changed in his life. And you know the beauty of Christianity is that we too can enjoy a spiritual makeover. We can be changed people. It really doesn't matter what our past may have been. What matters is the present. I want us to think for a moment or two about the spiritual makeover in the life of Paul. And I want to begin by talking about his sinful past. In verse 15, Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Let me begin by calling attention to the deeds of Paul. Many of us are familiar with his life as a Jew. Paul would say in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, who has enabled me, counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. The word insolent carries with it the idea of violently arrogant. You can go back and read the record in the book of Acts and see how Saul of Tarsus conducted himself against Christians. The Bible tells us that he made havoc of the church. In Acts chapter 26, when he stood before King Agrippa, he said that he had thought within himself to do all things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. When saints were put to death, Paul said, I cast my vote against them. Paul did everything within his power to destroy the cause. And then, note if you would, his declaration. Paul said, again in verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
In order to appreciate his revelation, you have to first of all understand his reputation. The things that the Apostle Paul did as a Jew were well known by the people of that day. I think about while on the road to Damascus, Luke tells us that the Lord appeared to him and asked the question, why are you persecuting me? Saul, of course, believed that what he was doing was justifiable. He was a zealous Jew, a Pharisee. And so he was going to Damascus to find those who were followers of the way to bring them back bound. Well, when the Lord called upon a man by the name of Ananias to go and meet with Saul, Ananias' reaction was, Lord, I have heard from many of how much evil he has done against your saints. You see, the apostle Paul had done everything within his power to destroy Christianity. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul writes about his conversion to Christ and how some were saying that he that now preaches the faith is the very one that once persecuted it. So his reputation was well known among many, many people. But his revelation, when you look at his past and you think about his reputation and the many deeds that he did on behalf of Judaism, you come to appreciate his statement. Oh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul here, in somewhat, in somewhat of a reflective way, acknowledging the fact that yes, Jesus came to save sinners, but were you to ask Paul, Paul, who do you think is the worst of the worst in terms of sinners? Paul would have said, it's me. I am the chief. I'm at the top of the ladder when it comes to sinful activities in life. But then note, if you would, his Savior's pardon. In verse, in verse 14, here's what Paul said. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. First, let me talk for just a moment or two about the abundant grace of God. When I think about the abundant grace of God, I'm reminded of the riches of God's grace. <clears throat> that those who enjoy God's matchless grace are rich people. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places that in the ages to come he might, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us which are in Christ Jesus. When Paul said, by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
Not of works, lest any man should boast or glory. It's understandable why he could say in Ephesians chapter 1, at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, when he has made us accepted in the beloved. Because of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, we have the hope of redemption. Paul said, but God who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And so the riches of God's grace, and there is the reception of God's grace. Paul, I think in a very personal way, in verse 14 said, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Did you know that the Apostle Paul experienced firsthand the marvelous, matchless grace of Almighty God? To know that God reached out to him. I mentioned a moment ago Ananias being instructed by the Lord to go and meet Saul of Tarsus. And Paul, in recounting his conversion story, said that when Ananias came to him, he said, what are you waiting on, Saul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. To know that when Saul of Tarsus obeyed the gospel of Christ, that he, be he became a rich recipient of God's grace. When Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2, he could say, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man. God's grace is for all. And to know that through the grace of Almighty God and our obedience to the gospel, we become partakers of all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That we enjoy the benefits of his grace, mercy, and love. And that we stand redeemed by the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There again, the riches of Almighty God and the riches of his grace. But then what about the abounding grace of God? When I think about the abounding grace of Almighty God, there are two things that come to mind. Number one, God has the ability to handle the volume of your sins. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20? Where sin abounded, grace did abound more. Now look at the life of Paul. Paul said, you need to understand, formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, he said, I was violently arrogant in going back to the book of Acts. Luke acknowledges that it was Saul of Tarsus that consented to the death of Stephen. He had been a persecutor of the Lord's church. And so here is a man steeped in sin, as we say. And yet what he came to appreciate and understand that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. I want you to just think for a moment. 
Is there any way for us to sit down and chronicle every single sin that we've ever committed? Just think about that for a minute. Can you recall every single sin in your life? I will freely grant that for some of us, the past may be dark and dirty. We may not be very proud of some of the things that we've done and said. It may be the case that when we look introspectively at our own lives, we ask the question, how in the world could God ever save me? When I think about all of the things that I have done and said, the people that I have hurt, the places that I have gone, the things that I have said, how in the world could God in heaven ever save me? But I want you to know that God can handle the volume of your sins. I don't care if you've sinned a million times, two million times, three million times, whatever it may be, God has the ability to forgive. Not only can God handle the volume of your sins, but he can handle the vileness of your sins. What do I mean by that? I mean no matter how dark and dirty your life may be. I don't care how deep you may be in a life of sin. God in heaven will forgive you. Now I know that when you look at the scriptures, sin is sin. And yet sometimes we tend to categorize sin, don't we? What you have to understand is that sin, any sin, all sin, God will forgive. I don't care, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've said. God will forgive you. In Acts chapter 18, we read about the Apostle Paul spending 18 months in the city of Corinth. And I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and I read those passages. And I remind myself that God has the unique ability to forgive the vilest of sinners. Not only does God have that ability, but God wants to forgive. You see, God stands ready, willing, and able to forgive you of every sin, of any sin, of all sin. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor revilers, drunkards, extortioners? But he went on to say in verse 11, and such were some of you. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Paul having been a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violently arrogant man, a man that was involved in the deaths of some of God's own people. And then we think from 
a moral vantage point, people that have lived in fornication, adultery, homosexuality, individuals that have gotten caught up in a life of theft or drunkenness or extortion, what you have to understand is the gospel is intended for people in sin. Jesus came to save whom? To save sinners. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The gospel is for you and me. So I don't care how vile your life may be. You may be here today, you may be thinking, you know, you just, you just don't, you don't have any idea. You don't have any idea what a bad person I am. You don't, ha- you don't even begin to understand just how deep in the muck and mire of sin I have been. Let me tell you what. God understands and God will forgive. You see, the devil wants you to think that you're not redeemable. The devil wants you to think that there's no hope for you. The devil would be happy if you just stay where you are. What you need to understand is God has the ability to forgive. Thirdly, let me call attention to his saintly pattern. In verse 16, listen to what Paul said. However, for this cause or this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. First of all, the Lord's treatment of Paul. Paul said that God was long-suffering to him. Did you know the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance? I think when Paul wrote verse 16, what he was saying was this. If a gracious God in heaven could forgive me, he can forgive you. Think about that for a minute. Paul is saying, look, if God could forgive me, there's hope for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you may be. I don't care what color skin you may have, how how much education you have or don't have. God can forgive you. There's a second thing I want you to see. And that is the Lord's transformation of Paul. Paul said that the Lord used him, used him effectively. Look at verse 12 again. I think Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now listen, you have to read this in the context. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Look at the life of Paul. Paul's saying, you have to understand, I had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. I've done all these terrible things, but what did God do? He transformed my life. He gave me a sense of purpose. The Lord said in Acts chapter 9 that Paul was a chosen vessel to bear his name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
Think about what Paul became. Probably one of the greatest preachers to have ever lived. A tremendous teacher of the gospel. He became a missionary. And then I think about the books that he penned by inspiration. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, that the things which he wrote were the commandments of the Lord. And so here is the apostle Paul, at one time such a great enemy of the cause, and then this trans transformation takes place in his life, and Paul could write to the Corinthians and say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Don't you know when Paul wrote those words that he had lived them? He had lived to experience that? Paul could say, look, what's in the past is in the past. He could say, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've got a new start. You have been spiritually made over. Paul was a changed man. And God used him effectively and mightily in his service. And let me just say this. Think about where you are in life right now. Think about what's going on in your life. Maybe your life is not where it needs to be. Maybe you're in sin. I want you to understand that just as God worked in and through the Apostle Paul, he can work in and through you if you'll let him. You can become an instrument of righteousness, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. Sometimes we sing the song, let the Lord have his way with me. If you'll let the Lord have his way with you, I promise you this, he'll use you in a great way. He'll use you to accomplish his will here on this earth. There's a fourth thing I want to call attention to very quickly. And that is his symphony of praise. First, look at verse 17 before we note the points. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What about Paul's perception of God? Look at what he says. He's the king. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is eternal. He has no beginning, no ending. He is immortal, invisible. And then I think about his praise. When we step back and think about where we were in sin, in light of where we are in Christ, is it not the case that we ought to let flow from our lips an anthem of praise to Almighty God. When I think again about what Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made, it, made us accepted in the Beloved. To know that God could take me, He could take you, He could take any person, take them out of a, out of a life of sin, put them in Christ and make them a viable servant of His. I want to close by saying this. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life, but I know this. 
God can give you a new direction. He can give you a sense of purpose in this life. Think about how many people in our world today are wandering aimlessly through life. I mean, if you were to ask them, what, what direction, what course are you following in life? They'd say, I don't know. If you were to ask them, what's your purpose in life? They'd say, I don't know. I don't know where you are. But I know this. It would be incredible for this many people to come together and somebody not be struggling with a life of sin. It would be incredible if somebody here this morning is not living in sin and in need of a spiritual transformation, a spiritual makeover. Look, we're here to help one another. Our goal is to go to heaven. And we want to take as many people with us as possible. And so what we need to do is understand we're allies, we're not adversaries. We're all in this thing together. And you need to understand wherever you are in life, no matter how deep you may be in, in a life that is out of harmony with the will of God, if you'll come to the Lord and you will obey the gospel, believing Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24, confessing the name of Christ, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 10, 32, being immersed in a watery grave of baptism, as Peter talked about in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You can become a child of God. Let me tell you what, God will add you to his church. And in that spiritual, in that spiritual institution, you'll be among the redeemed, the cleansed, the saved. And when Jesus comes, he will come to take you home to be with him forevermore. If you're here today and maybe for whatever reason you've gone back into the world, you're not living right, your thinking's not right, you've lost direction in your life, I want to appeal to you today, come home, come back. The Lord wants you back. When you read about that prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, that prodigal had lost his way in life. And fortunately, the Bible says he came to himself. Maybe, just maybe, that light has clicked on in your mind today. And you're saying, you know what? It's time to come home. Did you know the Lord will be happy to have you back? Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants you back. He wants to enjoy fellowship with you again. He wants to shower you with the blessings that belong to those who are part of his family. 
Won't you come home today? Why not be spiritually made over as we stand and sing?